What's up, everyone? This is Rafael Garcia here for episode number six of the MMA Ratings Interview Series. As always, thank you for taking the time to check us out. You know all of the places to find us uh, across the MMA Ratings Net Network. Me, you can always hit me up at rgarcia underscore sports, but I want to jump right into it today because we have a very special guest in Kel Dansby. Uh, Kel, why don't you say hello to everyone? Hi, it's great to be here. Great to be on the show. Appreciate you giving me this time to speak with you and to talk with the people. Uh, it's going to be fun. I can't wait. Yeah, man, we definitely got a couple of different things to talk about today. I appreciate your time. I'm glad I had the opportunity to listen to today's The Corner Podcast before getting you on, because you know we got to have some conversations about those music takes that, that you had today, right? <laughs> I mean, fair by me. I, I think I'm right. I think my musical taste is spot on. No one else seemed to agree. But yeah, we can definitely talk about that. All right, man. We're going to get to that. We're going to get to that at some point. But before I do that, let's go ahead and go back to the start. Let's go back to the, the beginning of things when uh, Kel Dansby was just a twinkle in your mother's eye. But no, really, how did you really end up getting into sports media? When was that starting point for you? Sure. Hold on real quick. One second. Ah, crack the claw. Shout out to everyone who listens to the Corner Podcast. No, we got to start it off right. Um, Man, so the beginning. The beginning is weird because I've always played sports. Like being from New York City, everyone played basketball, right? So everyone's like going to the basketball courts, all this stuff over the summer, playing in tournaments. I was one of the few people who played football. So football is my sport. It just kind of fit like my body type. I was a huge Barry Sanders fan. So once it came to like going to high school, I kind of had to make a decision. So my dad and I guess my grandmother, who I lived with in New York, made the decision for me really to send me out to Vegas to live with my mom. So I did that, came to Vegas. Football was a lot more prevalent in Vegas. I had a great time going to high school out here. Ended up going to college for football, went to Southern Utah University. Um, I chose that over some other Arizona schools and Cali schools, mainly because I already had my daughter. So I had my daughter at 17 in Utah. They have a lot of programs set up for you to have children. A lot of people are Mormon. They go on their missions. They start families early. So went to school in Utah. I was going to school. My major was nursing. So I played for a year and a half. And then college football, believe it or not, is really hard and really demanding. So after a year and a half, I was like, you know what? I don't think I want to play anymore. I just want to focus on school. Decided to leave and then didn't really know where we were going to go. I was having my second child, my middle daughter. Um, she was on the way. And my ex-wife was like, you know what? We're going to need help if we both want to continue going to school. Her family was from Kansas City. I was like, all right, Kansas City, Missouri it is. So we moved out there. I had two kids by this point, and I was like, all right, let's figure it out. Oh, I think my son was actually born, too. So I already had my daughter. My son was shortly after, or he was in the oven. We decided to move to Kansas City, and in Kansas City, I was going, and I signed up for a community college because that was the closest thing around, and I was like, cool, Johnson County Community College, and I was waiting in the lobby, and in the lobby on the television before signing up for my classes... I thought I was going to go back into nursing. I was like, all right, let me finish taking my sciences and everything. But on the TV in the lobby while I was waiting to get my name called to choose my classes was ESPN. 
And I remember I watched ESPN like all the time. I had taken six months off from school. So that's all I did. I watched Cowherd in the mornings. I watched, you know, Part Interruption, uh, First Take, back when Skip and Woody were on it. I watched all this stuff. So it was on in the lobby and I was looking and I remember thinking to myself, you know what? These people get paid to talk sports all day. I was like, I think I can talk sports all day. I was like, you know what? I'm going to do that as a job. And then I went in the office, picked my classes, switched my major to communications, and that's where it all started. So that's a, that's a pretty interesting story there, man. I didn't know you went to Utah. Before we dive back into the sports real quick, I got a question. Going to Utah, how many fingers did you need to count all the black people that were there? Um, believe it or not, it was a good amount of fingers, fingers and toes. Cause again, I went for football. So you can only have a football team with so many non-black people. So in my immediate circle, there was a good amount of black people. A lot of kids from Vegas who were black go to Utah to play. So they had like this secondary scholarship. I got a half scholarship to play. Then they had this other half scholarship called like neighboring states or something that'll pay your other part of your tuition. So Utah schools get away with that a lot, where they bring in a lot of black talent by giving them half scholarships and then using that other uh, grant program to pay the rest of their money. So had a lot of black people on the team. Track team had a lot of black people. Non-sports playing black people, I'd say it's like two and a half. It was two and a possible. <laughs> two and a, hey, look, that sounds about right because I um, I went to a predominantly white school too. You know that that that's always the deal when they count the whole sports organization as all the black people. You're like, yo, there's like six of us left. What's going on with that? Yeah, yeah, that <laughs> was pretty much it. Let's hop back into sports, though, because um, you talked about you uh, went into comms. You changed your major from nursing into comms. When was that moment that you knew you could make it in this industry? I knew it the day I decided. Honestly, I was watching that TV, and I said, I can do that. Um, I went, switched my major. When I left, I was walking out of the office. I had my classes. Johnson County Community College, shout out to them. It's great community college. Um, their sports teams are legit, too. And I remember walking around the corner, and they had a radio station. Not like a rinky-dink college radio station. A legit set-up radio station. It was run um, by a woman. Her name escapes me right now. She went on to be a senator currently in Kansas. but. What she wanted to do was really up the program at Johnson County. So the newspaper staff, crazy good. And she was building this really good radio station. So I went and I walked in and I was like, I know you guys do music and kind of like they had a political show in the afternoons and it was broadcast on AM radio because she really had good connections. I was like, is there any way I can talk sports? I was like, it doesn't have to be a lot of time. I would just love a sports show. And they were like, we don't have anything on between 6 and 7 a.m. We've just been running this stupid replay show. If you can get in at 6 a.m., Monday through Friday, you can have that block for sports. I was like, cool, I'll be here next week. And that was it. I had a sports show right after that, AM radio. That led to me getting an internship with SNY in New York because I was just randomly on Twitter. And they had a contest where if you write a story about the Giants in the 2010 NFL draft, you can be entered to be in an internship. All thing you had to do was be in college. I was like, uh, I count. And I remember writing a draft article on who they should draft in 2010. 
submitting it. I was one of five finalists in the nation. I remember on the t- group email, it was a kid from Georgetown, kid from Syracuse, two people from NYU, and someone from Florida, and then me with a community college email. And I beat them all out. Got to SNY in internship. That happens to be the year Eli took the Giants to his second Super Bowl. So I covered that entire Super Bowl run, which was great. Got to experience Super Bowl week. And then after that, that led me to get an internship at the major radio station in Kansas City, 610 Sports Radio. And I went in for my interview there. And I was highly recommended from Johnson County. And the guy who gave me a chance, it was two days before he left to Houston, was Nick Wright. Or two weeks before. Nick Wright saw me. I sat down with him. He said, you know what, kid? I think he got it. Mind you, he's two years older than me. But Nick Wright has always sounded like an old man. And mm-hmm. Nick Wright was like, no, you got it. Come in. You could be a producer on this show. And then he left two weeks later. And I ended up being a producer for my boy Danny Parkins, who's ESPN Chicago now. Carrington Harris. Uh, Harrington, who has the number one show in Kansas City right now. He's still at 610, killing it. So Carrington, Dot is the man. Um, yeah, ended up producing their show. And then Nick Wright, to this day, we're still really good friends. We text all the time, say congrats when he went to Fox Sports. Always checking in with him and his hot takes. Uh, anytime he used to come to Vegas, we used to chill and hang out. So it's crazy how these opportunities, it took a lot of hard work, but going to Kansas City, something I dreaded at the time, allowed all of these things to fall into place. And I met some of the most talented people in the business in my age bracket by happenstance, by getting in at this radio station and building. And then it's been off to the races ever since. So exactly how many years have you been in the sports industry now? It's 2020. That was 2010, September 2010. So this would be my 10th year. Good stuff. So uh, congratulations on being in the industry for a decade strong. That's a hell of a milestone there. Um, Let me ask you this. What are some of the sports moments that you remember that stand out to you the most? Like if you had to pick maybe two or three, that like these are the types of moments that if you could take a picture of it and have it framed on your wall or somewhere like that in your home, what are those that that jump out to you the most? Um, Ones that I've covered or just in general? Ones that you've covered in personal. Okay. I was about to say, because that giant Super Bowl, I cried. Uh, But outside of that, um, ones that I've covered, I'd say my first fight ever covering, um, I had just gotten separated. I didn't, my divorce didn't go through yet, but my marriage was over. And I remember knowing I was leaving Kansas City. I was going back to Vegas. I went and my best friend had like this tiny studio apartment, but I don't care. Like we've been best friends since we were four. Um, he moved out to Vegas cause I lived there at a point in time. And so he moved in with me. I helped him get started. He had started becoming successful, but he still had the studio. Like he wasn't trying to spend money. And he was like, whatever you need to do, you come here and stay here with me to get on your feet. And I was staying in his walk-in closet on the floor. It was carpeted. I just had a blanket and a pillow. Um, my wife had put all my stuff outside in the bag. I flew to Vegas and I had sent an email to Robert Latala at Black Sports Online um, I had applied for a job there maybe like a month earlier to write for them. And he was like, man, you're great. You're very qualified, but this writing position's on the West Coast only. And I was like, all right, man, sorry, I have to pass on it. So when me and my wife split, um, 
I ended up on a flight to Vegas and I was like, hey, is that writing opportunity still available? He was like, yep, there's a fight to cover next week. Uh, I left the day after Thanksgiving. The fight was on December 3rd. That fight was Manny Pacquiao versus Juan Manuel Marquez 4. And I went and I covered that fight live. And that's the night Manuel Marquez completely flattened Pacquiao. And the memes were there. Simba was moving his lifeless body on Twitter. It was crazy. And that was my fight, first fight ever that I covered. I think it was 2011, uh, about to turn into 2012. And incredible, incredible moment. And it was something I was very lucky to see in person. I still have that credential hanging on my wall. Um, you're talking about stuff being framed. I have credentials framed thanks to my wife now who uh, crushes it in like the design department. So my office is all my credentials. I have over 350, except for the ones I've lost. But my main ones are up there, 350 credentials hanging, and then certain ones framed. That one is in a frame. Um, another one is probably... Pacquiao versus Mayweather. It was a zoo. It was a complete circus, but it's the biggest boxing match of all time. So to say I was there, to say I covered it, is a great accolade. And I'd probably say NBA Finals 2016. It was something I really didn't do much of. I'd covered college basketball before, but making the jump and being able to go, and it was LeBron versus Golden State Warriors. It was the first time they met. I've covered every single time that they met. Um, but I went to Golden State, and I was there, and I was on TV. It was cool. It was the first time I was ever pseudo on ESPN because I asked LeBron the question in the post-game. Um, I asked LeBron a question, and I asked Clay a question. And it was cool to see my family be able to see me on television, see them be like, yo, people at that point thought I made it. I was still struggling along, but... Um, to a lot of people, they're like, wow, he did it. Because a lot of people in the beginning didn't believe I could. Um, I was one of, I'd say, less than a handful of people who thought I can actually do what I said I was going to do. So it was great to see that outpouring and people to have something tangible to see and be like, wow, he's making it. Now, you mentioned kind of struggling along when your friends and family, had, I basically thought you've made it. That is kind of the air that comes when you tell somebody that, that you work at ESPN and you're back there now. Um, and I think you're leading the ESPN ringside brand. So talk to me about that. Uh, how, what has it been developing that brand? I think it's coming up on about a year now uh, that, that it's been around. So talk to me about that brand and how has that ride been working there? It's the best job I've ever had. Hands down. Granted, it's my career, so it's hard to call it like a job, but my career is like all-encompassing. As a singular job, it's the best job I've ever had. And I'm not saying that because I'm just here. I'm not saying it because it's ESPN. This is one of the few places where I got there, and on day one, they said, you only have to do three things. Deliver material, be yourself, and never stop trying to do something new. That was it. They're like, creativity is the number one thing at this job. If I stop being creative, then I would be fired. And I was like, that's it? They're like, that's it. Not numbers, not, oh, hit these benchmarks. No, be creative and you'll be okay. So I was like, oh, I can do this. And they, listen, if I think of it, if I can dream it, there's a person in-house there's a member of the staff that can help it become a reality. So 
it's been great. It's great to cover boxing full time. Um, for a lot of years, I've had to do not odd jobs, but one of the things and reasons why, and I've been very open about this on the podcast and in general, one of the reasons why my first marriage ended and failed is because my ex-wife told me to be a, quote, real man and get a real job. And she wanted me to work in this factory with her brother-in-law. And I refused. I said, I will not get a job that's not in my career field. And at this point, I'm still like a student interning. And I was like, it's not in my career field. I will never work another job that's not in my career field. And led to the end of our marriage. So I've done a lot of jobs. Like I've worked for news stations and I've done like, you know, front desk there and wrote for their websites. And I had to cover news on the daily and talk Trump and like murders and um, car crashes, fatal crashes, all this stuff, stuff I really dislike just so I could write and cover a little bit of sports. I've done that. And during those process, I was thinking like, I can't wait to get to the day when I wake up and only thing I have to think about is sports. Only thing I have to cover is pro sports. And now that I'm here and I'm doing that, covering boxing every day, yeah, I'm playing with house money. So this is this is great. The account is great. Um, we're growing by the day. I love seeing boxers interact with it. I've tried to make it a place that is inclusive. I've really fought to have us have a major presence for women's boxing, which is really undercovered. So I, I wanted to make sure we were a place where we featured women's boxing as much as we featured men's. If you're a star, you're a star. I wanted women's boxing to be on the same level as UFC women's division. I want boxing to have a Ronda Rousey. I want that thing to happen, and I want to spearhead that as best as I can, you know, being a man. Um, at the same time, I take a lot of, you know, tips and pointers from women. Got to be open um, in terms of giving minorities a voice. Boxing's full of minorities. We have to be able to speak their language, tell their stories correctly. And I feel like that was a void that was also in the area. So I'm trying to do that. Um, it, it's great, though. They don't tell me no. At most, they tell me, how about this? That's, that's the worst thing I've been told. Uh, how about this? And then we figure something out. But they never tell me no, which is great. So no complaints for me. I, I'm happy to be at ESPN um, from that first day when I was in that hallway and I looked. And I said, I can do that. Not only did I say, oh, I can be, you know, on TV or cover sports every day. I said, when I went home that day, I will work at ESPN by the time I'm 30. I will be an ESPN employee by the time I'm 30. And they hired me when I was 30 and a half years old. So, man, that's, a, I was, that's pretty amazing. I was a little late. Yeah, a little late, but better, better late than never. That's pretty amazing. And I wanted and I want to ask this too, because I, I worked at ESPN maybe about oh man, I left there in like 2010. So I, I kind of know what it's like behind the scenes there. I at least have a good memory of it. Thinking about what you saw that first time when you saw it on TV and you decided, yo, I can work there. And now that you're there, is it everything that you thought it was like behind the scenes from a from a basic sports organization standpoint? Is it as much fun as you thought it would be? Is it everything behind the scenes from an organizational standpoint that you thought it would be when you saw it for the, not the first time, but when you sat there and decided, yo, this is something that I could do? Um, no, no and yes. So it's, it's weird. When you look at it from the outside, and I was guilty of it at that time, it all looks so easy, right? 
everyone, we, we talk sports daily. Men, women, children, everyone in this nation talks some form of sports, mostly everyone, daily. And you all think, well, I can do that. It's so easy. And I had this, this naive thought that like, yeah, they can do it. I can do it, which really fueled me and kind of got me to where I am. But getting to ESPN, you see that it's like, oh, there's levels to this. So my journey is not done. Like getting to ESPN was the start of it for me. Starting ringside is amazing. Turning this into something so much more is going to be even better. Turning myself into something more is even better. But getting behind the scenes, you really see what it takes to be those top guys. I work 24-7 constantly. Not because they make me, because I want to. Even if I'm not on the clock, I'm collecting you know, info and posts and, and reading and making sure I'm set up for the next days of work, making sure everything is in line. Me and my wife could be on the couch watching Ratchet TV and I, I see a post, I'm like, oh, I need to put this in my save file so I can work this up tomorrow. Or, oh, this is an idea. I'm constantly working. And I'm still not working 25% as hard as Stephen A. Smith. Still, nowhere near. And I'm using all 24 hours in the day to work. It shows me to get to that level, you got to be a machine. You have to be different. And it's not talent. That's That's the biggest thing I've noticed. There's a lot... To get to ESPN, obviously you've been there. A lot of people have been there. You have to have an extreme amount of talent to get there. To stay there and to grow within there, you have to outwork everyone. Everyone, everyone, everyone. And that's the thing that I'm seeing now. Everyone is talented here. It's like the NFL. It's like the NBA. To get to that level, everyone is talented. To be an all-star, to be an all-pro, it takes something different. And I'm learning how to channel and really turn up that that little bit inside of me so I can be one of those people that are different. And so far, so good. But, yeah, it's, it's just the start of the journey. And that's what I've seen from the inside. And that's everyone. The producers work harder than any producer I've ever seen. The graphic design people, crazy amount of work. Every department, it's people outworking someone in their head is not even like a real thing but you just work so hard everyone does that at espn so to be the top of the top there takes a, a different level and that's my next channel i'm telling you, i'm looking forward to it because again i know i can do it so it's fun to see the journey and know that i'm on the journey so when you look at yourself five, 10 years down the line, what are some of those goals in sports media that you want to obtain? Uh, like when you sit down and think about it, what are some of the things that you want to see yourself doing over the next five to 10 years, if you can maybe play that out? It's incredible how long five or 10 years is, right? Because I've only done this for 10 years. And be like, yeah, I'm going to be at ESPN 10 years. Wow. Um, so another 10, I feel like it's another lifetime away and I can accomplish so much. But looking at what I want to do is I want to be able to talk sports every day. I, I believe I can be on a show. I can be, whether it's boxing-centric or combat sports-focused or whether it's all sports, because I can talk all sports and be able to show that side of me like a Max Kellerman has where everyone's like, oh, he's a boxing guy. No, he talks everything on the daily. I believe I can do that. And I will do that. So I think that's one goal. 
um, a different goal, which I working on ASAP is it's always been a goal of mine to be a really, really good journalist, like a great level journalist. And that's something that doesn't come as easy to me as being a talking head or being on radio or on podcast. Writing and writing very well, historically well, takes a lot of effort, a lot of reading, a lot of time, a lot of patience. And those are things that I have to work on. In the next 10 years, I want to be able to say, I'm as good of a journalist as I am a talker. And that's going to take more work than anything else in my life. But it's like going to college. It's not easy, but you know it's the at a certain point, it gives you skills that are invaluable and you got to go through that journey to get to the other side. So I, I think that's the next thing I want to do. I want to be not just a journalist. I want to be a great journalist where people respect my pen as much as my mouth. So that's the next 10 years. That's the goal. And I believe I can accomplish all of that within ESPN. Um, you know, life takes twists and turns and we'll see. But I believe I have enough to stay where I'm at and grow within ESPN. A lot of people feel like you got to leave and then come back when you are somebody. I can grow within it. So that's going to be interesting. But those are my goals, 10 years. That's what's up, man. I plan on watching you along the way. So like I've been enjoying your content. I can't remember when I first stumbled upon uh, the Corner Podcast, but I've been hooked from day one. You guys are right at the top of my listening uh, itinerary every week. And I appreciate it. No, man, no problem. I appreciate you guys for the work you and um, Andreas do. And one of the reasons why that is because I'm also a pro wrestling fan, and I know that's something that you both talk about extensively on the show. When did you become a fan of pro wrestling? What are some of your earliest uh, memories of that industry? I've been a fan of pro wrestling since I was two, three years old. Um, my grandma, and I owe a lot to her, um, my grandma was a huge wrestling fan, huge boxing fan, still is a huge boxing fan to this day. She watches more boxing than me, and I get paid for it. So she is an incredible woman. We had, like, the old-school legal cable box. I think Satchel Limitations is up. But we had that, like, in the 90s. So we got every wrestling pay-per-view, every boxing pay-per-view. So since the age of two throughout life, I've just been glued to the TV for these moments. So I remember had to be WrestleMania five might've been my first one that I remember seeing live might've been four years old, WrestleMania four, WrestleMania five. Um, I always had all the toys. I collected wrestling cards I had like, uh, Hulk Hogan, King Kong Bundy in the blue steel cage. I had cards of that match. I had Hogan versus macho man. I had those cards Hogan Warrior title for title was one of my favorite matches growing up. And this is before I knew neither of them were a great wrestler, <laughs> but I was just like, just really involved in the spectacle. Ric Flair, of course, a Ricky Steamboat was someone that always caught my eye. The original Sting with the blonde hair, I was always a fan with. So I, I couldn't, I can't honestly remember a time in my life where I wasn't a wrestling fan and then a boxing fan as well. But a fan of wrestling. I, I can't remember a day where I wasn't. So my grandma's always kept me involved in that culture and always made it feel like a big deal. 
and it wasn't nerdy to me. It wasn't um, something where people were like, oh, my God, you're that. Like, no, I was always a wrestling fan. My friends in the hood would come over and watch wrestling with us. I made them wrestling fans. My grandma made them wrestling fans. Like, throughout the 90s, before the Attitude Era really blew it up, everyone was coming over to watch these wrestling matches. Remember, every year we'd have a huge party for Halloween Havoc where people dress up in their costumes and bob for apples and we'd watch WCW Halloween Havoc. It was great. So I've always been a wrestling fan. I've always had my favorite wrestlers, Shawn Michaels, greatest all time. Um, man, yeah, I, I can't remember a time where I wasn't. So it's just been ingrained in me. It's amazing how much the wrestling industry has changed from back then to where we are today. It's almost like night and day if you look at how the impact of social media and being able to watch just about anything any time of the day has really changed the industry. What are some of the organizations or who are some of the people that you watch in professional wrestling the closest? What are some of the things that you kind of keep an eye out for? Like it's G1 season going on right now. Is that really in your eye or are you more like a North American wrestling fan? What are the things that stand out most to you? No, I'm an entire wrestling fan. Like I've had New Japan World for five years now um and it comes out my paypal every month so no i'm loving g1 right now i'm a huge will osprey mark i've always been a fan of like the flippy stuff even though i appreciate everything so what watching osprey change his body become a heavyweight is great in g1 kota abushi as well who's just jacked right now is having a great showing um shout out to andreas hale my co-host who loves guys like ishii and minoru suzuki who are just hard hitters there's so many different types of wrestlers in New Japan, and they book them extremely well. New Japan rarely ever misses when it comes to booking decisions and making you care about storylines. So I love New Japan. To me, they can do no wrong. Uh, on the American scene, I like AEW. I think they're doing really well right now. I think they've had their growing pains. I'm not, uh, oh, you know, I'm all elite. I'm not going to, like, tweet that. I'm not taking sides. I really like NXT. A lot of people have been down on NXT. I still love it. They just came off a really great takeover. I think AEW and NXT are the elites of, no pun intended, of U.S. pro wrestling. Then you have main roster WWE stuff, which is hit or miss, mostly miss. And can't wait for promotions like ROH to start back up. Uh, Shimmer is starting back up. GCW has the collection, a show specifically catered to minorities coming up i think it's october 10th this um that weekend where there's you know the show that's all minority driven and then it has a show with all women and it's being held in chicago i believe now it's supposed to be wrestling a weekend we're going to be a part of it with the podcast and wrestling with stereotypes but hopefully we have that opportunity again when we are rona free as a culture um so yeah it's it's all wrestling. I love indie wrestling from the bottom of the bottoms to the top of the main roster. I watch probably every week, man, 15, 20 hours of pro wrestling. And that might be short. We talk about it all on the podcast. So we got to watch every second of wrestling. I watch 205 Live. So I watch a lot of wrestling every week. It's easy. I have three TVs in my living room. So it, it makes it a little easier. But yeah, just completely in on pro wrestling i love all of it i i like fighters or excuse me wrestlers from all promotions all over the world so yeah i'm, I'm a mark through and through yeah man i can definitely tell that that's one of the reasons why i appreciate the show let me ask you a question about g1 because i'm 
I've been pretty much harping about that on the wrestling podcast. I do. Who do you have coming out of block A and block B? Because I keep flipping back and forth. I had Jay White at first. Now I think they're going back to Coda again. I think Naito's coming out of B. I think that one's pretty much solid. But that, that block A, I have no idea who's coming out of that. Oh, all right. I have to take a look at this now because I had picks the other day on our show, but I want to make sure that I get them right. The, the night one is pretty legit because I feel like that is the block with least resistance, right? So let me pull that up. Naito is so far as the most points. Yeah, Yano's not winning that one. Um, I think last night, Naito, Kenta, and I'm really big on Kenta in that block, though. I would love to see Kenta win. Naito probably wins. I'd definitely mark out if Kenta wins, because we never got the ending to Naito winning the title, Kenta wrecking him, and sitting cross-legged on his chest. Right? Like, there was nothing to come of that, because the Rona hit. Well, I think they went on and they had like one match after that, but it was way too rushed. That next pay per view, I forgot what it was, but they had that match way yeah, too totally rushed. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, they they had one pay per view way too rushed, whatever, and then they moved on from it. So I think this would be a great continuation. Those two should meet on the last night. I hope Kenta goes over. He's to me, he's been one of my MVPs of the tournament, but I can't argue against Naito. Now, first group, give me. Kota Ibushi. Ibushi has to win that. Even though I want Osprey to win it. Um, Jeff Cobb has looked great in that block. Jay White. Listen, I was the biggest Jay White hater like three or four years ago. I thought they were pushing him for no reason, way too fast. I thought Kenny Omega was leaving, and they just needed another Gaijin, anyone, to take his place. They threw him in the Bullet Club. I was like, this guy is whack. It does not make sense. And now I'm all for Jay White, I think he's now grown into the role that he they wanted him to be then. But they threw him into the water and said, sink or swim. So he definitely earned it now. But it's Kota Ibushi time. He's, he's an animal right now. And I know we're not supposed to speak of this name. But the way his body is filled out, the way his moves are in, the level he's wrestling, it reminds me of that prime Chris Benoit from when... I mean, Pegasus Kid was great, New Japan and everything. His WCW run was great. That last year, WCW, through, I mean, it, through his death in WWE, that Chris Benoit run was unreal. And Abushi is reaching that level of in-ring greatness, physique, moves, you know, just everything was on point. And I think Abushi's there right now. So Kota Abushi wins. And if we get Bushi Naito, perfect. If we get that, which I, I mean, I'm kind of leaning that way too. Like I said, I was going Jay White first. I figured yeah, he would he would have a pretty solid run. It's looking like Kota might get another win out of that block. If we get Naito and Kota, I think it's time to put the belt on Kota. Finally. What are your thoughts about if, if we get that match at Wrestle Kingdom this year? Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely time to pull the trigger. I mean, for so long, the only thing that kept him back was that he refused to sign a full-time contract. So they wouldn't put the belt on. He, um, his match with Nakamura at Wrestle Kingdom 8 is probably my favorite New Japan match ever. Second favorite, because you can't deny um, the Rainmaker versus Kenny Omega. 
right? So that's uh, Okada Omega 4 is the best wrestling match I've ever seen in my life. Ever, ever. It's like number one, a million stars for that match. But second match would be that Nakamura match versus Kota Ibushi. I've never seen Nakamura have a better match, including his Styles match at Wrestle Kingdom. Never seen him be that good as he was against Kota Ibushi. Now we look at it, that's almost nine, eight, nine years ago. So this guy's been that good for that long. I think it's time for him to hold the belt. So, yeah, I agree. Abushi, even though I, I think Will Ospreay and his ascension has been great, like I said, in the heavyweight division, giving me Osprey Abushi. Uh, last night, I have to see what the matchups are for each night. Um, but, man, they are both incredible. But I think, yeah, this is the year for Kota Abushi to win it, and I think everyone sees that. So, last night, it's Kota Abushi versus Tai Chi. Should be an easy win. And then we have Okada Osprey on that last night, which probably cost Osprey the chance to go to the finals, which fine by me. And then the last night of B Block, we have Naito and Kento, like I said. So that's obvious booking. That's going to decide who goes to the finals. Yeah, I, I can appreciate. See, that's the thing I've, I've liked about watching the G1 so far is that you can kind of see where they're going, but you can't get over that hump. And, and figure out exactly what they're doing. Like there are times watching AEW or watching WWE, you can, can kind of see it coming from a mile away, and that's okay. But with this run in G1, I can't really tell what's going to go down, and I really appreciate that. Let me ask you one other question, though, when it comes to uh, wrestling right now. If you had the book, somebody gives you the book, and they can say, you know what, uh, Kel, you can pick somebody across any organizations. What is your dream match that you will put together using the current crop of men and women we have right now? You need to pick any type of match you want, any two people you want across organizations. What are you going to set up? Wow, that's tough. Um, there's so many ways that I can go with that. Like, honestly, like, there's so many ways. And a lot of matches have been done, right? Like, I can take, you know, Omega Okada 5, and I wouldn't bat an eye. Uh, Ibushi is incredible. Like I said, Osprey, I love so I'll give three because I can't give one. <laughs> one is too hard. Um, All right, give me if three. You say, if you said I could do three, I would say give me Kota Bushi versus. That's tough. Kota Bushi versus Johnny Gargano. I think that's an amazing match. Easily a five star match. Right there, and could have been done Cruiserweight Classic, wasn't Um, You give me those two, incredible match. You give me Kenny Omega versus Adam Cole right now. I think that's, that's blockbuster if you pull that off. And let me throw a weird one in there. Triple threat match. Give me... Keith Lee, because I haven't seen Keith Lee go off in a second. Keith Lee. No, I take that back. No Keith Lee. Let me rewind that. Triple threat match. Minoru Suzuki. Samoa Joe. John Moxley. No DQ. Triple threat. Ooh, man, look, you got my money. I would sign up for that <laughs> all day, that's, every day. That'd be a dream match. 
when I thought about that question a while back, I was um, thought about what I would put in there. And the two I came up with is we got to have the four horsewomen in a fatal four-way. We got to get that at some point in time. Just okay. let them go and just let them steal the show. The other one is another fatal four-way. You got half of it when you said Adam Cole and Kenny Omega. The other two, I'm putting Finn and AJ and let those let those four just put on a show for the rest of the night. Like That's what I want to see. Okay, Bullet Club through and through. Yeah, four, for sure. Four different leaders of the Bullet Club. I like it. So those are the two that kind of popped in to my mind. Um, you mentioned earlier that, you know, with COVID-19, you're doing the same thing that the rest of us are doing, working from home. How has that really impacted your work when it's so, when the sports industry was basically ground, ground to a halt? How has that been kind of watching COVID-19 impact sports the way it has? And how have you kind of adjusted during that time? Um, oddly enough, covering combat sports mainly, everything else grinded to a halt. Combat sports didn't. So we've constantly had WWE wrestling. AEW didn't go anywhere. You know, so boxing took a hiatus for what March through the beginning of June. So two months, two and a half months, boxing was gone. The UFC was gone six weeks, and that's it. So I've been working through pretty steadily this COVID-19 situation. It, it's been a change not going onto campus and having those resources in terms of going, you know, there's a lot of stuff and cool stuff that can be worked up at ESPN just by being around other smart people and a lot of great ideas. But, you know, thankfully we have stuff like Slack. We have stuff like Skype and um, Zoom and being able to adapt and adjust I've been able to be at home and watch more stuff, uh, making sure that, you know, I'm just ingesting so much of this content that now I can feel comfortable producing content for boxing, wrestling, and MMA. And I would definitely say, thankfully for me, I was in a position of being able to go out there and show my worth to my company throughout this year. So I'm now a voter for the MMA power rankings on ESPN.com. I vote for the WWE power rankings on ESPN.com. Um, boxing, pound for pound list, ESPN.com. I, I get to vote on all these things and, and be, I guess what you would call an expert is we're calling myself an expert. But if you vote for these things, I guess you are an expert. So being on these lists and, and holding that prestige is something I've always wanted to do. And I've been able to achieve that due to the situation, stepping up, and showing that I'm knowledgeable in all these areas. And I don't think that necessarily is going to slow down when hopefully we start pulling out of this pandemic and getting back to live events and covering more stuff. I think I'm able to just take that momentum and run with it. And then on the flip side of that, making sure that in terms of social justice, that the presence is, is felt and heard. A lot of stuff we've been talking about on the corner in terms of a podcast has been about social justice, the importance of voting and, and talking about the political and just, you know, social climate right now in this country and being able to speak about that freely in terms of everything, you know, Black Lives Matter movement and people try to politicize everything, whatever. At its core this year and people being at home and not having sports in an escape, not having work as an escape, kind of just being there and forced to be inside and be with their thoughts 
it has opened up people to this dialogue, which we haven't seen before. Just the openness and willingness to listen. And then people form their own opinions and take it and, you know, spew hatred off of it. Or they take it and open their eyes and understand that there's a problem. You go many ways after that. But everyone has listened to the problems that we have in this country. So being a small part of that and making sure that those are heard, both in, you know, the podcast form with me at ESPN and the stuff I produce there. And then in my personal life, just being able to speak to people, make sure they understand what's going on and using this time and my platforms to make sure people know that like, this is a problem that we have to change. And this is how I believe we start changing that has been huge. So COVID, they say everything hits for a reason. I feel horrible for everyone impacted and the families and people lost and I, no one ever should want a pandemic or anything of this nature. But I, I feel like when you when you do this and you look at these eight months, there was also a, a large lens pointed on, on other aspects of our culture that we also have to fix. We have to fix how we respond to these situations and these pandemics and stuff that ails all of us. We also have to fix how the country runs when everyone is healthy because the country even then is sick. So I think this year has really opened the eyes of many people. So it's been a troublesome year, but I think a lot of growth has been done personally by me and others this year. And that's something I really appreciate about, about the work that you and Andreas do. Like for example, when the Breonna Taylor uh, non-indictment for lack of a better term came down, whatever that was two weeks ago or Whenever that was, you and him, like whatever else was going on in the sports industry at the time, you pushed that, pushed that on the back burner. And that's what you guys talked about for the whole show that week. How has the response been to that um, throughout COVID? That as you speak more about these types of, of situations, what have your listeners been saying to you throughout that, that journey? Um, I think our listeners know kind of what we're about, specifically what Andreas is about. He's always a bit about that. Like, this isn't new. This isn't a hat he's putting on. This is something he's always spoken up about. This is something he's always cared about, and he's put action behind this his entire life. So we have shows like Wrestling with Stereotypes. We did this a year ago. We knew the struggles of being black, minority. I mean, you'd be surprised how many people when I tell them, like, no, yeah, I'm Puerto Rican. Like, no, I go to Puerto Rico all the time. My family's there, and people look at me crazy. Like, yeah, I can't be a dark-skinned Puerto Rican. Like, y'all don't, people don't know nothing about nothing in terms of race, in terms of, you know, just all different types of prejudice. And um, it's something where Dre has always spoken up in terms of, you know, the mistreatment of Black Americans in this country, and the mistreatment of women and Black women in this country, and how stuff should change and how we have to do better. That's always been one of the hats he wears. And I would say... The if he wears, I mean, guy has a million jobs, right? So he has a head full of hats. That's the one on top. That's the one most visible. Um, honestly, thanks to him, I've been able to speak up more. When we first started this podcast, it wasn't something I was comfortable about. It wasn't something I often spoke about. It's not something I would bring up to friends, family. I had my thoughts and I had my opinions, but speaking on this wasn't something I often did. And if anyone has listened from the beginning of the show, I was very open to listening, but my opinions on the subject 
were shallow, to be honest. Like, I didn't know. I didn't realize. I've always been a history nerd, so I can break down stuff in terms of historical value. But I was never comfortable bringing my personal feelings to the table. So this year, the show, Andreas himself, and I tell him this all the time, like, he influences people and doesn't even know it. And I'm one of those people. We had like a super deep moment on the show like a month ago where I swear we hit break and I damn near made him cry because I had to tell him like, no, like you have to give yourself your flowers before it's too late because other people are always trying to do that for him, but he'll take it with a grain of salt. And, you know, he's the ultimate man of humility. Like I'm the opposite. If you tell me like, yo, Kel, you're great. I'd be like, thanks. I knew it. Like I've known this forever. I appreciate the compliment. He's the opposite of that, where he's, you know, he's always, oh, thank you. And he shies away from that. But it's true. I'm like, yo, you got to know that, like, you inspire people. You inspired me to be able to speak up for these things. And my voice has changed. And how far I've gone in my career is a lot to do with the chance happening that he picked me as a podcast host. Because, again, when this all started and Quarter Podcast started, the company that our first network which was um man i don't know i'm drawing a blank but our first network went to him loudspeakers network thank you loudspeakers and shout out to combat jack rest in peace combat jack went to him and said i want you to have a podcast and who do you want as your co-host and he said me i was a 25 year old you know wild kid spin off hot takes so that moment changed a lot in my career and in my life. So this year is a reflection of our five years together as, as co-hosts, because now I can speak openly. I can lend my voice. I can be confident in saying these things. I think our audience is comfortable with that because that's been us from the start. But I think this year, more so than ever, the audience is now getting used to me adding to the dialogue and not me just asking Andreas his opinion. Because I've got more comfortable saying it. So um, his influence has been huge. I, I hope it's received how it's supposed to be received. And even if it's not, it, one thing, and not to go like too far off the question, but hopefully I answered it already. Um, one thing we hear all the time is you guys would be such a bigger podcast if you just did combat sports. Or if you just did pro wrestling. Or if you just did MMA. You could be a bigger podcast than you are. You'd have way better numbers. And I'm just like, yo, that's not us. So if we didn't talk about R&B to start off a show, if we didn't talk about the verses, if we didn't tell stories about our childhood, if we didn't talk about these political issues, if we just stuck with sports, just, just talk sports, we'd be much bigger. I'm like, then I don't want to be bigger. I'm good. We get there, we get there. We'll figure it out. But we're going to figure out being us. And I think our audience understands that. Man, that's fantastic. You actually, not only did you answer that question, but you actually answered another one I had popping off of that one. So I want to be respectful of your time. I got two more questions for you, man. So um, sure. where am I going to start? Talk to me about White Claw, man. Like, what, what, like what's up with you and White Claw? Because to me, that's the white girl's 40 ounce. Why are you drinking <laughs> that? First off, White Claw got to cut your check. But... Um, number two, it, it was weird because we like to have a drink when we record. The old man, Andreas, is like super 
snazzy with his liquors. So he'll have like a, a fancy, like tw- 13 year aged liquor in a cup. No, no rocks, just neat before a show. And then it was weird because it takes so long to get through. And then me, I was like, I can't just drink beer every show. Like, I can't have these empty carbs. Like, it's going to be the end of me. So I went over to his crib one time. I think we were watching Wrestle Kingdom at his house. And he had a box of White Claw. And he was like, oh, these are actually pretty good. Like, let me try one. So I tried it. I was like, you know what? This is tasty. And I looked. And I was like, it's only 100 calories of White Claw. I was like, I can drink this. It's not going to get us super drunk. And we can enjoy it during the show. So... We popped it that next show. We had a drink to start it. And then it just morphed into whenever we're about to talk about something really serious, really funny, or I got a crazy hot take, we got to pop the claw. So you know, as soon as you hear the pop of the claw, you know it's about to get real. And like now our listeners know like, oh, hold on. He popped the claw. I got to listen. And you really got to be intent on what we say after that. So it reminds me of a Lil Wayne's lighter flick. So if you're listening to a Lil Wayne song, once he sparks the lighter, you're like, oh shit, some some fire is about to come next. So that's like our that's our version of like the Lil Wayne lighter flick. Like once you hear that claw pop, oh shit, it's about to go down. I appreciate that because that's true. I can't even really joke on you anymore for that because that's a hell of a way to uh, look at that. So this is what I'll do. We're gonna get you that uh, that white claw sponsorship one way or another. You need to tell whoever's in charge if they hook you up with a check. I will start buying White Claw just for that specific reason. I, I swore it off after me and my ex broke up, but yeah, I will get I will drink White Claw just off of that alone. Yeah, so don't, don't let her keep you from enjoying the claw. We're <laughs> we're gonna take it back. We're reclaiming it. She can go somewhere else. She better get a different drink. She'll go to Truly's. <laughs> White Claws for us. All right, there. I'm gonna hold you to that. I'm gonna hold you to that. So the last question I have for you, man, you got you have an opportunity to redeem yourself here. All right, hip hop and R&B. Thinking back to the era, like our past era, like I'm 36, so I, I think we're about the same age or so. But yep. thinking back to those past area, past eras of music, you have to pick one hip hop artist and one R&B artist to bring them to today, and you have to ensure that they're still going to be as big of a hit. Who would you pick? I mean, that's unfair. Jay Z is still a big hit, right? So I can't choose Jay. You can't now. Nah, um, you can't pick Jay. He's, yeah, he's that's, uh, still relevant. Yeah, that's easy. Um, I'm going to go outside of the box just because I, I think Biggie, Tupac are natural um, choices there. But if you give me still relevant, with all the tools and how music sounds today, right? Hip-hop, I, I'll cheat a little bit in R&B, but my hip-hop choices would be two. I think Slick Rick does really well in today's climate. I think if you give me like 80, 1989, 1988 Slick Rick, he could do extremely well in this climate because he's so versatile. He can do it all. Um, the storytelling, but his voice, even if you auto-tuned his voice, would be amazing in today's climate. So give me Slick Rick to bring to today. Um, my other hip-hop choice is Nate Dogg. Because if you give me the futures of the world, the all these little babies and... Um, Young thugs, all that. In terms of crooners, no one's greater than Nate Dogg ever as a crooner. 
you put him in today's climate where he's a front man before he was hooks, you know, dog pound, whatever. You give me Nate Dog with Future's production and ability to be a star, Future doesn't hold anything to Nate Dog at all, at all, at all. So give me Nate. I think he he's arguably a top five artist of this generation if Nate Dog was around today. Um, I saw that Cape Gunna. Like, you don't even got to be a sex symbol. Like, you look like the kid Gunna. You can't tell me Nate Dogg isn't Gunna. <laughs> like, True. Nate Dogg would put him to shame. So, yeah, no, nah, Nate Dogg would do great in today's climate. Um, R&B. Wow. You know what? Again, I just want to go out of the beaten path. Because it's easy. Cause we've seen Missy, right? Like, Missy is still around, kind of. Like, Timbo, all that shit translates. But if you go older... Someone who I think would do great now, give me Houdini. I'm a big Houdini guy. You give me Houdini on a trap beat, crushing shit. Crushing shit. So I really like Houdini. Houdini's there for me. Um, who did I listen to the other day? That was Fuego. Oh, I listened to... It's <laughs> not our idea. But... Lisa, Lisa, and the cult jam is fire. <laughs> okay, Lisa, Lisa in two thousand, like two thousand twenty, Lisa, Lisa, she might got some joints for you. And then, of course, like, come on, like, you you have people like her who is great, but then you have, um, you know, the Seven Streeter chick. You have uh, Janae Aiko. You you have that style of music. You can't tell me. Janet Jackson, like a 19, 20-year-old Janet Jackson can't do that style of music better than all of them, right? Like, the voice, how it's that, she can have that low whisper, that is the style of 2020 in terms of women's R&B. Janet Jackson would be the queen of that. She's already the queen of her own genre, her own generation. She crushed it today, so Janet would be the obvious answer there. Good stuff, man. I think you've redeemed yourself, at least until the next show, and you say something else foolish. But you've, you've redeemed yourself in my eyes as far as tonight goes. I have good takes. It's just on the show, I, I preface it with saying, you know what? This might be a little wild. But I have like 10 good ones for every wild hot take. It's just no fun to share the good ones. It's definitely wild. I'm like, this guy did not just say, okay, you know what? Let it ride. Let it ride. Yeah. So, Sorry, Ray better at Brandy. Ah, uh, hot take. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not, even diving down that, not even diving down that rabbit hole. The last thing I wanted to say, man, is let everybody know where to find your work um, and spit out anything you may have about, but definitely let anyone know where to find Kale Dansby and his work. Sure. Um, if you want to follow me personally on social media platforms, it's at Kel Dansby, K-E-L-D-A-N-S-B-Y. Yeah, real name, no gimmicks on all platforms. If you want to follow the show at Corner Podcast underscore on Twitter, Corner Club for Life on Instagram. Professionally, you can follow the ESPN Ringside account on Twitter and Instagram. Post really cool boxing highlights. Of course, you can find me voting for stuff on ESPN.com as well. So that is really cool. Hopefully, I get that pen game working a little bit. And uh, you see more of my work on there, too, as a journalist on ESPN.com shortly. So that is the goal this year. Outside of that, make sure you follow my co-host, Andreas Hale on all platforms. It's just his name as well. 
I appreciate this opportunity. I appreciate chopping it up with you. It's always fun. This hour flew by. I can do this anytime. Um, it was great, man. I, you keep up the great work. I appreciate your support. Always love your voice on social media. And you often make me feel like my hot takes are crazy. And not just like because when I say them, people do it, but I take your opinion to account. I'll be like, damn, you know what? I might have gone too far with this hot take. So it is always great to hear your voice and truly have smart, talented people in this field and other people to inspire me. You are one of those people with just how you think and always your opinions are so on point. And that's something I don't think a lot of people know. Like I am often inspired by those that I communicate with on Twitter and social media. You are one of those people and those things it, as much as I'm striving to catch the people in front of me, you guys are on my level and pushing me all the time because you guys are catching me, surpassing me. I'm chasing you guys as much as I'm chasing the Stephen A's, the Max Kellermans, all that shit of the world. We all push each other, and that is important. Man, I really appreciate that a lot, man. No, no doubt. It's all love. I appreciate the work that all you guys are doing. There's so many of us that are dropping good things almost on a daily basis that no one really, I don't want to say no one sees, but if you don't amplify each other's voices, no one will see it. So I appreciate you always doing that. And, and you and Andreas and everybody else keep doing what you guys are doing, because I think we're all going to like, what does it say? What is it? Uh, rising tides lift all boats or something like that. We're all out here doing, uh, doing the great work. So I appreciate everything that you're doing, just like you said. Thanks. I appreciate you. No problem, man. With that in mind, we're going to go ahead and close out. And this is episode number six of the MMA Ratings Podcast uh, interview series. We'll be back next month. We're looking for someone else to speak to, which, you know, we dropped these interview series to kind of give you a look at someone from behind the scenes, not just those people who are the big names standing in front of the cameras, but people behind the scenes covering the sport who are also just as passionate as those who participate in it. So again, my name is Rafael Garcia. You can catch me at rgarcia underscore sports. That's the best place to catch all of my content. And we'll be back. We've got another podcast coming out this week. So we'll be back with me and Shawan Humes talking MMA and combat sports. And as always, Thank you, Kel, and thank you for everyone who's listened to our content.